Welcome to the Moon and Back podcast. This is your host, Ocean Pleasant. I invite you to settle in, take the deepest breath you've taken all day as we prepare to tap into the cosmos for some real talk. During our time together, you can expect monthly solo hangs as you and I explore the power of astrology, as well as a monthly guest episode featuring some of my favorite experts on love, wellness, business, and beyond. At the bottom of your next breath, let's dive in. I almost have to pinch myself right now that you're here, Kiki, because not only does it feel full circle since you were really my first astrology mentor. I mean, let me just read out to everyone. If you're not familiar, you will be very soon. Just the amount of expertise that you carry and how honored I am to have you here. So Kiki Erickson is an integrative psychotherapist with over 20 years of experience helping individuals, couples, and groups to heal. She specializes in areas of trauma, addiction, codependency, depression, anxiety, relationship challenges, self-esteem, problem-solving, life transitions. And as an integrative psychotherapist, she also tailors therapy according to the unique needs of her clients, which is where following techniques like EMDR, trauma therapy, attachment theory, energy psychology, mindfulness meditation, somatic body psychotherapy, and psychodynamic orientations all come into play according to what someone needs when they sit down with her. And in addition to all of that, she's a world-class astrologer. So you can imagine just the the amount of of service and and just expertise that's packed into one human being. I can't, but today I'm going to get to pick your brain. and (laughs) (laughs) And I'm so thrilled that you're here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's really a delight to um, share space with you again and um, to have a conversation with you. You're just, you have your own fantastic, incredible amount of wisdom. So thank you. Yeah. And I, I think one of the things that gets me so excited about sitting down with you is how you exist at the intersection of being a licensed, you know, therapist in so many regards, but also having this litany of esoteric tools at your disposal. And so often I think that the approach to mental health is sometimes these camps are divided in a way that has never made sense to me. And you exist at an intersection of them that I'm really excited to explore today, of course, being an astrology podcast, but, you know, with the background of, you know, astrology isn't a blanket one size fits all solution I mean, nor should it be a justification or explanation for things that are happening in the mind and the body. Um, And I usually give that disclaimer when mental health comes up in a reading. So I wanted to kick off our conversation with that disclaimer as well, um, that we're going to explore some correlations, but by no means is it a replacement for treatment and therapy. And um, do you agree with that? Do you have anything to add to that disclaimer? Absolutely. One of the, I'm so glad that you said that because one of the um, things that I really wanted to communicate today before we have the conversation is those of us who have the language of astrology to share with people hold great power. And when it comes to mental health, which can be so stigmatized, um, it's really important to me to be really mindful about not focusing too much on what are the aspects that can show mental health. Where, where mental health issues show up for people, 
but it can be kind of an explanation for, of course, you suffer with anxiety. Of course, you have mood problems because of this aspect in your chart. And here are the things that we can work with in your chart that are the gifts that can help you balance this. These are the kinds of um, supports that would really help you based on what we see in the totality of your chart. As you and I know, as astrologers, there are so many layers to reflecting someone to themselves through, through their natal chart. And so to just look at a, you know, um, Neptune conjunct the moon or Pluto conjunct Mercury or lots of planets in the sixth house of perfectionism and nervous system. We, it's much more complex than that. And so, um, and I don't want to put names and labels on people and I don't want to steal their power. I want to help them to see who they are and how to work with themselves and love, you know, how their moon expresses. If they have a water mm. moon, but we know they're going to be more sensitive and emotional versus, you know, fire moon, et cetera. That's more, you know, reactive. Mm-hmm. So knowing those things about ourselves, then we can begin to take care of ourselves. And my job as a therapist sitting in a space in a kind of a longer term scenario is to really help people over time see and embody more and more of who they are and it through their chart. Absolutely. And I think that's a really good point that, you know, the high road of using astrology is that it's a permission slip that we transcend labels. And, mm-hmm. and so I would never use astrology as unqualified diagnosis of something else that's happening with context and environmental factors and you know everything that you've personally trained to be equipped to talk about and i think the ethics of being an astrologer without those skill sets is a really important conversation that i do want to weave in a little bit here for practitioners who are listening is that we can absolutely draw an indicator of, of course, your emotional body operates at a frequency so much higher than everyone else's because you've got moon conjunct Pluto. Here are ways that you can self-regulate. And I encourage you to seek out, you know, maybe EMDR or whatever other tools could help you process that deeper. Um, So thank you for bringing our awareness to that. Um, And so I guess that brings us to my first question, which is, how does your background as an integrative psychotherapist deepen your approach and understanding of a birth chart? Hmm. That is a really good question. Let's see here. I mean, I spent the first 15-ish years of my career working in outpatient mental health, community mental health with you know chronically mentally ill people who were in and out of the hospital. I, I had this kind of traditional track, even though underneath it all, I've always been this woo-woo person. But as someone with five planets in earth, like I wanted to do it the right way. And, and it's not like I could sign up to go to Hogwarts and learn some mystical art, you know, <laughs> would I have been able to do that? I probably would. But um, so I did the traditional way. And um, what I learned through that is First of all, I sat with so many people with so many different issues, like, you know, from three to 103 and every diagnosis in between and high functioning and really struggling. And um, I became really adept at 
well, first of all, assessing what was going on, you know, feeling into what the kind of issues are. And I also learned over that period of time how to support and not fix, how to help people find their own way to themselves rather than trying to just give them the answer. And when I found astrology, um, or when I found Deborah and started studying astrology, it really shifted um, how I was seeing my clients in terms of there becomes a third person in the room when we bring in the chart. So it's me, it's the client, and the chart is the third person that gives them this objective way of beginning to look at themselves. So I'm not sure if I answered the question, but no, I, I love that. It's, it's a, the traditional setting that, you know, someone who had started on a traditional path and stayed on a traditional path, like you have that framework, but then when you incorporate the birth chart, you so eloquently put, it's like having a third person in the room. And I, Mm -hmm. I sometimes describe people's planets and big three as roommates who've all signed a lease that lasts forever and they can never move out. And (laughs) so that does play on the idea of your birth chart being another person in the room in that conversation of how do we feel? How do we talk? How do we love? What are we working through? Um, It kind of, you know, is like an added precision tool in the work that Mm -hmm. you're already so qualified to do. And I think it really brings me to how can we responsibly approach the topic of mental health in the birth chart? And if you're comfortable to talk about some potential patterns that you've seen or that I've seen that typically result in a shared experience that can be personally applied and worked on outside of astrology. Um, Mm -hmm. But how do we responsibly approach the topic of mental health in the birth chart? That's a great question. Basic foundationally, I would say looking at the moon, which represents our internal world, our emotional body, what is the element that the moon's in? And you can just start elementally. And then yeah. And then with Mercury being quite literally how your mind is hardwired, right? How you communicate, how you process information, especially with something like anxiety, very often living in the mind sometimes seeing Uranus conjunct Mercury, and it's a mind that never shuts off. It's a mind that moves a million miles a minute. And sometimes those are little indicators of, you know, what is electricity infused in the mind, if not anxiety, right? And sleep problems and sleep problems. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes if I see Uranus in um, aspect to the moon or Mercury, I ask people, have they had trouble with sleep? And anxiety, like that's a really high frequency. They get really clear downloads. They're unusual and maybe from the future. And I often will give a practice of getting in water for someone who has that because there is something, I mean, you would think if it's an electrical mental body or an emotional body, it might shock them to get into water, but oddly it helps to ground That's such good homework because my next question was going to be, what are some tools to self-regulate when you can catch, okay, I've got Uranus aspecting my moon or Mercury. That means that my emotional body or my thought process runs at a higher and faster frequency, maybe restless, anxious, maybe easily agitated, a lot of different tabs open in the mind all the time, Mm -hmm. insomnia is... Mm -hmm. 
what brings you back into the sensation of your body, like floating in a sensory deprivation tank or having a hot tub installed in your backyard or going to the ocean after work if you live by the beach. Um, right. Water is such a beautiful tool for that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or going barefoot in the grass, especially in the morning when there's dew on the grass, um, when it's not freezing cold, if people are living in snowy climate. But, um, you know, definitely things that bring us back into the body. The other practice that I give for, for most everybody is I love the morning pages practice by Julia Cameron, who wrote The Artist's Way. It's three pages of stream of consciousness writing every day. And for any client of mine who tries it for 90 or for, um, yeah, for 90 days for three months, they find invariably that that's a great way to get to know their, um, their mercury and their thought patterns and um, really begin to work with that energy. Their moon and their mercury will really show up in the writing. I love that. And I think the reason that I am glad that we're touching on the influence of the outer planets with moon and mercury isn't to label anyone listening. It's to really validate if any of these um, experiences show up for you on a regular basis. I think so often, especially when it comes to mental health, a lot of us think, oh, I just have to live with it. This is just the way it is. This is just the way I operate. This is just how my mind works. And so astrology is a jumping off point to validate that this is possible in your mind, in your life. Now go find the tools, right? Mm -hmm. So astrology is the tool of initiating the conversation, right? And Mm -hmm. so I think when we think of it that way, it's not a label. It's not a diagnosis. It's kind of a reframe that you're it's not all in your head you're not the c word you're not crazy like you're really just you know the concurrent overlap of nature and nurture here's how to go find support with that um, right and so we talked about uranus i'd love to touch on neptune the influence of neptune aspecting the moon and mercury i see it show up a lot in clients who experience depression is that something you've noticed I would say yes, depression. I would say potentially um, addiction. So escapist, whether it's scrolling or um, smoking weed or watching Netflix or just spacing out. And I would say that I see that also. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's such a sensitive Um, It's a really tender, sensitive energy. So I think of Neptune as the the vapors in the, in the sky, you know, the vapors in the atmosphere and that it's really delicate. And so people may feel who have Neptune in aspect to their Mercury or their moon feel really delicate and also like so absorbent of other people's vibes and really feeling what other people are feeling and having trouble discerning because Neptune adds that um, merging kind of we're all one influence. I also Mm -hmm. think that people who have Neptune in aspect to the moon and and Mercury can um, also receive messages from 
um, people who have passed and have trouble kind of knowing what is that? Is that me? Is that mm-hmm. some kind of um, ethereal right. information I'm picking up on? They've got this kind of sonar dish, right? Like bats, right. you know, they're like bats flying through the night. <laughs> Yeah, I think the veil is incredibly thin for people Mm -hmm. with personal aspects to Neptune. And when it feels hard to contend with that hypersensitivity, with those voices, with that access to the other side or divinity, it Mm -hmm. then turns to how do I mute this? How do I turn this off? How do I give myself a break? And so Mm -hmm. of course, the things that are usually the most within arm's reach would be alcohol, weed, Netflix, food, numb anytime, it out. <laughs> anything that'll numb it out. Exactly. Right, so right. if if the medicine for Uranus was water, what is the medicine for really strong Neptune aspects that have someone feeling almost debilitated by their own sensitivity, the porousness of their emotional body and their own like receptivity to the spiritual world? What do we mm-hmm. tell them? Mm-hmm. I think um, boundary work can be really helpful. So Boundaries are multi-leveled. It's not drawing a line in the sand. We have internal boundaries, which is I choose who I tell um, what, where, when, how, and why. I choose who touches me. Um, I choose who comes near me. And um, so practicing, you know, boundary work. And I also think um, reality checking. Mm. So, So there's a lot of um, there's an incredible imagination with this combination, which can also imagination in the extreme is fantasy, which is, you know, ultimately kind of checking out and not, and, and looking with rose colored glasses and not seeing what's real because they can see the, you know, possibility. And so I would say reality checking and finding safe people that you can begin to reality check and say, this is what I'm like this is what I'm imagining is going on. Can I reality check it with you? Mm-hmm. It has to be a safe, trusted person, not a judgmental, <laughs> not a judgmental bossy friend, but someone who can really hold space. Yeah. I, I think I actually learned this from you like five years ago or something, which was the, the way to start a conversation as what's true for me right now is dot, yes. dot, dot. Yes, yes, yes. That's one of my favorites. And I learned that from you and I use it all the time because I'm not going to assume that my interior reality is going to line up or match with my partners or my mother's or my best friend. So all I can do is volunteer what feels true for me, especially as a Pisces stellium in the 12th house. There's probably going to be a little off script action (laughs) happening up there. So all I can do is represent that. And I learned that from you. And I, I think too, just I'm going to take any little opportunity I have to sing your praises, which is that uh, learning the, 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 I got my foundations of astrology with you and what you brought to it with the understanding of human nature really, I think it changed forever the way that I see astrology. And I feel so deeply privileged that you were my mentor and and yeah, so I, I think that also us bonding over the influence of Neptune and um, and I've used that sentiment that I learned from you ever since. What feels true for me? Reality checking. That's such yeah. a powerful tool for someone with 
under the driving under the influence of Neptune. <laughs> totally. Oh, thank you for reminding me of that. That is one of my favorite tools is, you know, what's true for me is. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So we've done Uranus and Neptune. Can we talk about how the influence of Pluto, what Pluto represents and the influence of Pluto on the moon and Mercury, what does that mean from your perspective? Pluto, where um, where Neptune is the kind of the ethers, Pluto is the deep, the deepest depth of the ocean. You know, there's a mystery down there and it's quiet and it can be scary. And um, so Pluto is power. It is psychic ability. It's, you know, this um, human lie detector quality that can pierce through and see what's going on. Um, It feels whenever there's a disturbance in the field that is untruth, it zones right in on it. And it wants to go in and address it and get the other person to admit (laughs) and what it learns, what, what, Pluto in aspect to, to these planets learns over time is to trust its own spidey senses and um, surrender the need to put on the hot lights and make the other person talk. You know, oftentimes this energy knows what's going on with other people's unconscious um, energy before that person does, you know. So, and it assumes that everybody would know it because they just, because Pluto, Plutonic people just know, right? So um, I would say that a challenge that a Mercury or Moon in aspect to Pluto could have is a lot of uh, negative self-talk that borders on self-hatred. It can be pretty harsh and that they can scare themselves. They can go very quickly to the worst case scenario and like see the car accident happen or imagine the earthquake coming and wrecking everything. And so a lot of times for people with Pluto and aspect to moon or Mercury, when I let them know that it would be a knee-jerk reaction for them to go to worst-case scenario. They can begin to catch themselves going to worst-case scenario and, again, do a reality check and say, okay, am I safe? Um, What do I need to do to help myself feel safe? Is there a real threat? I love that, by the way, just speaking to the part of you that can go to the worst-case scenario that sometimes, especially if it's an opposition, it can feel like an apprehension of waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like no matter how good life gets, you're waiting for the boogeyman around the corner to jump out at you. Mm -hmm. And, and this can take them out of life, like in this apprehension almost. I mean, sometimes they're afraid of their own depth. Sometimes I see really powerful Pluto aspects that aren't really being tapped into. There's some resistance to it. And, Mm -hmm. and again, I think it can feel like Pandora's box. If I channel my own depth, then the shadow, the fear is going to come with it. So having tools to navigate the dark and the light is so important. And something else, maybe I learned this from you as well, is um, the importance of the senses when doing the reality check of finding something that I can taste, something I can touch, something I can smell to really like ground you back into I'm safe I have all my needs taken care of. I am loved. I have someone I can call. 
back into the things you know for sure when you're so plugged into things that are happening that other people aren't even aware of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that where like Neptune um, with the, with Mercury and the moon can go towards crying really easy and water flowing quickly and maybe trying to numb out plutonic Mercury or moon can go, I think knee jerk to um, they're going to feel like this volcanic pressure internally when they're having emotions because Scorpio doesn't want, I mean, Pluto doesn't want to be vulnerable. It wants to be vulnerable, but it doesn't want to be in want, doesn't want to be vulnerable. Right. And so um, it can go towards um, anger that either goes outward or anger unexpressed that becomes self goes against self and becomes um, self-aggression. And that for for Pluto, like melting that intensity and allowing that water to flow instead of become stagnant and frozen Mm -hmm. is a really important, um, is a really important thing to learn. And a big piece of that is learning how to create safety. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a big part of that does come back to inner child work as well, because for someone who walks through life just more intensely than other people, I notice sometimes it goes back to childhood being told you're too much, you're too intense, you're and figuring out maybe where the water got frozen was in a family or a religion or a relationship that made them feel like they were too much. Um, Mm. which is definitely Mm -hmm. true for Jupiter aspects, but with Pluto, it's more like, like you're exceeding the capacity that I have to hold Mm -hmm. space for you. Like they heard a mom say, I can't deal with you right now, or you're being ridiculous or you're like, it just like that. And then they grow up, they're afraid of their own depth because sometimes one of the very first relationships that was modeled to them didn't have the capacity to understand their intensity. Mm-hmm. And as children, they feel, I mean, the, for this plutonic experience is out, feels out of control and control is really like resting control is really important. So this creates this big tension of like, I'm out of control, but I have to get in control and I don't know how to get in control. And they'll start to withdraw and like ice out the people around them because they're just trying to, you know, find some control. And so I have a client who I've worked with whose parents, um, she has like six planets in Scorpio and, and her parents would meet her out of control. Like it would trigger their feeling out of control. And then they would meet her with overpowering Mm. her, you know, so over time she's had to learn how to, um, hold space for herself. I do like a lot of what I do is reparenting ourselves, learning to reparent ourselves. And the chart just gives us great capacity to be able to do that work. And when we can do that work, we can show up in the world and in relationships with just with more neutrality and peace of mind. Mm. Um, I love that. Is there anything specific that you look to with the conversation of inner child work? Saturn is a big player. It just depends on how the chart unfolds. And quite honestly, you know, there's also a real intuitive component Hmm. to feeling 
what's in a chart and then feeling the energy of client and just having a hunch, you know, based on what I see and what I feel and then asking questions. My intention is to never assume that what I see is fact. Yeah, by no means should we ever be making assumptions about about people through their birth chart. Um, and I feel like, do you think we should touch on Jupiter and Saturn to cover all the outer planets with Moon and Mercury? Yeah, sure. Okay, I will say, not? though, I just thought of something else about the um, inner child work is mm-hmm. Sun Square Moon, of course, is always representative of the, that the, the chart holder internalized the conflict between the parents. I also would say um, outer planets in fourth, like Pluto in the fourth, Neptune in the fourth, Uranus in the fourth, Saturn in the fourth. Um, that generally represents some challenges and some healing that needs to be done Chiron also in the fourth. Wow. And I know for anyone listening, maybe holding their chart next to them going, does this apply to me? Does this apply to me? So if it does, remember, this is a jumping off point to go, what are additional tools I can do to work with this or to work with someone like Kiki to really get into the nitty gritty of it? Um, And so just to loop back to make sure we got all of the, the perhaps mental health indicators of the outer planets on the emotions and the mind. We're kind of doing them in reverse, but now going back to Jupiter, the planet of expansion that makes everything it touches bigger, also known for overindulgence, right? What what interaction does Jupiter have on the moon and Mercury when it comes to mental health? Yeah, so um, I think like on one hand, I see Jupiter in aspect to um, the sun and Mercury as a blessing, you know, as guardian angels. And um, and support unseen help that uh, signed up to be with you on this yeah. on this journey, and it can also be prone to overdoing. You know, so it can be really expansive thought. It can be having trouble slowing down. It can be um, going overboard with talking or giving or sharing. So mm-hmm. absolutely. And it can also, I mean, with with the moon, I think another permission slip is that you don't just love, you love big, right? You don't just experience sadness, but you experience devastation, most likely. The emotions are kind of turned up to a 10 because it's the expander, right? Hundreds of Earth could fit inside of Jupiter. We're talking about you know, the biggest planet in our solar system. And I think that that's an important context of like, you're not too much, like your Mm -hmm. feelings are not too big and, and learning how to manage them without feeling like you have to deny them and doing that work with a therapist. Like that's Mm -hmm. important. Well, I also see generosity, like, Mm. like someone who tends to be generous to a fault who then kind of feels like there's not reciprocity Ooh. and, or they, um, they give so much that they exhaust themselves because they just want to spread the joy and to everybody have a good time. You know, that's a big one. Yeah. I didn't even think of that. Right. When you give the world and then you're kind of sitting there going, well, what did I get back? Right. That kind of are you are you creating terms in a relationship that maybe weren't agreed upon 
by nature of your willingness to give, like I may at maybe at at its worst, so to speak, that could look like love bombing, right? Right, right. And um, it could also look like Pollyanna kind of like not looking at the situation as it really is, but shining it, polishing it up and making it look better than it is, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think of someone who like only tells the good parts of the story and right. exaggerates it a bit like, oh my gosh, it was love at first sight. And it was really just exchanging numbers in a dingy bar. It's like, you never really know. And also that ability to romanticize by making this grandeur, infusing everything with this sense of, you know, lavishness that Jupiter can do is also when it comes to aspecting the mind and Mercury, it's amazing that you have these big ideas. You're a big mm-hmm. picture thinker, but like where maybe do you get so hung up on romanticizing what comes next and the horizon just beyond this one that you're not present anymore? Yeah. So this, so the practice would be learning, you know, practicing staying with self and also checking in with the balance between giving and receiving you know, is there a balance between giving and receiving and how easy is it for me to receive? When is the last time I allowed someone to really give to me Mm. without doing something in return? That's a really great question for Jupiter. And so finally, our last outer planet, we've not done in these in order, but that's fine. That's our Neptune in the room with us. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) Saturn, talk to us about someone who's maybe unfamiliar with the influence of Saturn in relation to the moon and Mercury. Dun, dun, dun. Saturn is serious business. Saturn is, um, Saturn is the kind of the, the rule maker of the Zodiac. And it can be indicative of having a parent who was harsh and critical and had high expectations. It's the planet of responsibility So it can be indicative of someone who has a sense of over-responsibility and um, a high degree of self-criticism, not letting oneself catch a break because it never does enough and always needing to do more. And, um, you know, it's the the benefit of it is um, discipline, structure order, you know, and I think it can be, you know, you might see someone who has anxiety that leans toward trying to keep things in a significant order in order to have a peace of mind, you know? Right. Um, Yeah. Like a potential overlap for OCD qualities. Right. Right. Yeah. The sense of order of Saturn on the moon how do I control the circumstances that make me feel safe? Well, I eat the same thing every day, or I have a really strong routine, or I know exactly where I stand with everyone. But if maybe one hair gets out of place, it creates a sense of fear or instability. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's an important, you know, Saturn really does also uh, show us where we get afraid, where we have fear. And I think so if it's, if it's in aspect to the moon, you'll have someone whose emotional body gets activated and Saturn comes in and says, what are you crying about? If you cleaned your room more, or if you did X, Y, or Z better, 
you wouldn't, you know, X, Y, Z. So yeah. It's like, there's this internal expectation to be Mm. the fixer and the problem solver instead of permission to feel it. And I think this might be another aspect where morning pages is really helpful. In fact, I, when someone has a lot of earth and they get stuck analytical and in the left brain, I usually say, I want you to journal the question, what feels true today is dot, dot, dot. And it's all about what was the sensation of what was said and what happened and the conversation you had on the phone. How did that make you feel? And I want you to like read it back and highlight the feelings because your mind might revert back to intellectualizing it. But Saturn has permission to sit in the back seat for a moment and just talk about how it felt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. That's great. I love that. So there's so many different ways, you know, all of these different tools are always available to us to figure out wherever you can draw a correlation, if it's validating and it makes sense for you and it empowers you to get the help and tools that you need. I think that's great. (laughs) Yes, I totally agree. And I I also want to say to your listeners that there is no, like, there is no bad in astrology please steer clear of doomsday astrology. We have enough doomsday with our Mm. own internal like Saturnian (laughs) and Plutonian placements that um, this is a tool to help us find ourselves and love ourselves. And going to, um, oh my gosh, I have six planets in the fourth house. I'm doomed. No, there's no doom. Yes, amen. Right. Oh my gosh. Amen. A woman, whatever you pray to. Yes. No doomsday. We, I mean, it just, it kind of invalidates the, the, the principle of astrology to me, which is that we are collaborators with fate and our free will. We wouldn't have birth charts if free will wasn't important, right? If it was all figured out for us and something terrible was destined to happen or something great was destined to happen, what would the point of a birth chart even be, right? It's really how we interface with fate. It's how we take action, how we rise to the occasion of our life lesson placement of what we're here to transform and transmute. Um, So I I love that reminder to just not only avoid doomsday perspectives, but to be selective with what you read and what you consume. If it doesn't resonate with you, Go find an explanation of that aspect that does. You don't have to turn some random description on the internet into gospel. Like that's. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And if you have a reading with an astrologer who gives you a like really um, direct prediction, I had a client who had an astrologer years ago tell them that they would never, they would never have a child or they'd have a terrible, something terrible would happen. Oh my gosh. And I had a client this, who was told oh, that too. Oh my terrible. gosh. And this client, we had to really work with this. And I just would want to find that astrologer and say, what, <laughs> what are you doing? And she just had a baby. So, and everything's turning out fine. And we're healing that, but it's a trauma. So really like, please people, you're precious and your chart is precious and um, it should be held with that 
attention and care. And you are the, you know, like you're powerful. And, you know, as people can learn their own chart, they can then begin to work with themselves. So I'm all for that as well. And this, it really, it really works. I mean, I see people healing in the most incredibly amazing and deep and powerful ways in terms of um, finding their own power and learning to work with parts of themselves that they thought made them broken Mm. and unlovable. And I mean, it just is the most rewarding, amazing journey to get to walk, to hold space Mm. for people who are finding, finding the way home to themselves. Thank you so much, Kiki. Again, it's such a privilege to sit down with you today. And thank you from the bottom of my heart for everything that you've added to my personal journey and that you've shared today with our community. Thank you.